Or how, how do we make sense of the complexities of life? How do we make sense of it all? It seems sometimes like things are just a bit uh, topsy-turvy in this world, don't they? And why is it that sometimes wicked people seem to get away with it? And, uh, and, uh, and other times bad things happen to seemingly good people. Now how do we make sense of, of that? How do we make sense of all of the, the chaos of the world, the way that things just seem to happen, and sometimes there doesn't really seem to be a rhyme or a reason to it. And why is that the case? And that's what this passage in Ecclesiastes is, is helping us to think about. Thinking about how we put order into the world, how, how we make sense of, of our lives and, and what's going on in the world as well. So uh, this passage starts out with uh, those famous words uh, about a time for everything. And um, Steph told me just uh, this morning that the birds did a song all about this, which I, I didn't know, but you might be thinking about that. Um, that there's, there's a time for, for everything. These are famous words. But if you look into what, what the teacher says about the, um, uh, the, the times that, that go on, it's, quite, um, it's not just as simple as things which are good or bad. So for example, he says um, in verse 5, there's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. Is there anything good about scattering stones or gathering them? It just means that just different things which happen, or a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Now, both of those things uh, can be good things at times. You know, that um, sometimes it's just wise to, to do one or, or the other. And that seems to be the message, isn't it? Just that well, stuff happens, and sometimes it's, uh, it's not necessarily good or bad, but it's just, it just is. Where is the order? And this prompts some people uh, to look for um, things like karma. Now you may have come across this, the belief that if you do enough good in this life, then in the next life you know, you're reincarnated as something better or get up to heaven or whatever. Or uh, other people look to sort of yin and yang, that for everything good in life there's something bad that happens and you have to try and balance it all out. But how, how do we, as Christians, make order out of, out of these kind of sometimes seemingly random events uh, that happen in our life? Some of them good, some of them bad, some of them just, just aren't. Well, this is then what, what the, uh, the teacher goes on to say, verses uh, 9 to 14. He says, what do workers gain from their toil? And, and, and that's the key question. And this is what the theme that we keep circling around in Ecclesiastes, which is that if, if all that happens in life is that we, we, whatever happens, we just end up in a box six feet under, then it just makes a mockery of whatever happens. All of the complexities of life, all of the good things, the bad things that happen, all, all of those other things, it just doesn't really matter. It's all meaningless. That's the phrase, the word, that he, he keeps coming back to. And he says, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He's saying it's a burden that is laid on us. What, what is that burden? He says he's made everything beautiful in its time. So God is the one who, who makes sense of all of our lives. God is the one who, 
who has a way of making beautiful the things that happen. But he says, he has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So the problem is that God is the one who can make sense of all of the, the chaos in the world, the things that happen in our lives, the good and the bad. We have a sense of, of eternity, it says. God's put eternity in our hearts. We know that there is a transcendence. There is something above what we can see and, and feel and touch. And yet, we, are, we can't see what God's doing from beginning to end. We don't see the bigger picture. And we can only see what we see day in and day out. And we can't take a step back and see what God sees. Well, we know that there is more, but we can't see anything as God sees it. And he says, this is like a burden. And he says in verse uh, 13, that each of them, uh, uh, I know there's nothing better to do for people to be happy and do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. Like we saw last week, it's when we, when we find satisfaction in life, when we're able to take satisfaction in the regular day, day in and day out things, when we can enjoy the small things that we do, the little joys in life, that's a gift of God. When we're able to say, okay, maybe I don't understand everything that's going on, but I'm going to enjoy what I can enjoy, and I'm going to see God in all of these things. That is uh, how our lives start to make sense. And he says, uh, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added or taken away. And God does it so that people can fear him. So God is the only one who endures forever. And what God does uh, works forever. What God does endures. So if we want lasting meaning beyond the here and now, if we want lasting meaning, then he's the one that we need to look to. We need to look to the one who can give, give our lives a transcendence, a meaning beyond the things which are simply in, in the here and the now. And so then uh, the teacher, he goes on, uh, verses 15 to 17, he talks about, about the future and looking at our lives with the perspective of, of the future and that God's perspective. He says, whatever it has already been, uh, what, what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. So he says that God, to, to God, everything is present to him. Now that although to us, you might think of, you might have a memory of things that happened in the past, and you might think, oh, I enjoyed that time with friends, I enjoyed that dinner, that holiday, whatever it may be. But we can't go back to then, it's only a memory to us. But to God, it's not only a memory to Him. No, God is, is equally present uh, to every point because God is eternal. That's the, that's the point with God. So what does that mean? And this is what the teacher goes on to say. Uh, in verse 16, although we see at the moment, we see wickedness in the place of judgment and wickedness in the place of justice. In verse 17, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, a time to judge every deed. So that's the point. Although we may see at the moment 
wickedness abounding in many respects. And that doesn't make sense if we think about life just from the, the here and now. When we think about things from God's perspective, God does not forget. God doesn't forget wickedness, and we may forget it. A judge, a human judge, might overlook it. But God does not forget, and God will bring these things to account. You know, God judges and he will make things right. And I think this is exactly why in, in the Bible, for example, in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, it says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Do not take revenge. We can, we can trust it to God because he is the one who, who judges justly. So what can we say about life? And this is what this, this passage finishes off by saying. It says that, um, verse 18, as for humans, God tests them so they may see that they are like the animals. The teacher is saying that life is like a test. It's like a test for us. Thinking, are we just like the animals? He's saying, if you look at it from a merely human perspective, it seems like we, we just all die like the animals. There's nothing between us. We have the same breath. We have the same death. We're just like the animals, aren't we? And that's the test. That's the test. You see, if we are the same as the animals, then, then he's right that everything is meaningless. But, as he says in, in verse 22, uh, who can bring, to, bring them to see what will happen after them? See, that death is God's way of, of reaching through to a people who have fallen away from him and saying, look, you're more than this. You need more than this. Our lives and death are supposed to be a testimony to us, a witness to us, that we are meant for more than this. That's the point of, of life, that it's like a test to see who is going to believe that we're just like the animals. Who can believe that? Or, actually, it's the truth that God has, uh, God is, uh, has made us for more, has made us uh, for life, and death is a alien intrusion into our world. Now there's a, um, a famous sermon preached by uh, C.S. Lewis called The Weight of Glory, and he preached this, I think, in 1941, and uh, it was published shortly afterwards. And I think this is probably one of the most insightful things that he's ever, he's ever, um, I say written, but he preached it to begin with. I'd like to read you just an excerpt from his sermon. It's a, a reasonably um, extensive excerpt, but I think he's, um, Lewis is very clear, and I think it comes across really clearly as to what, uh, what he's saying. So this is what he said. In speaking of this desire for our own far-off country, which we find in, uh, find in ourselves even now, I feel a, a certain shyness. I'm almost committing an indecency. I am trying to rip open the inconsolable secret in each one of you. The secret which hurts so much that you take your revenge on it by calling it names like nostalgia and romanticism and adolescence. The secret also which pierces with such sweetness that when in very intimate conversation the mention of it becomes imminent, we grow awkward 
and affect to laugh at ourselves. The secret we cannot hide and cannot tell, though we desire to do both. We cannot tell it because it is a desire for something that has never actually appeared in our experience. We cannot hide it because our experience is constantly suggesting it, and we betray ourselves like lovers at the mention of its name. Our commonest expedient is to call it beauty, and behave as if that had settled the matter. Wordsworth's expedient was to identify it with certain moments in his own past. But all this is a cheat. If Wordsworth had gone back to those moments in the past, he would not have found the thing itself, but only the reminder of it. What he remembered would turn out to be itself a remembering. The books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust for them. It was not in them, it only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshippers. For they are not the thing itself, they are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. So I think this is, this is exactly the message of Ecclesiastes. That when we, when we enjoy life, the things that we enjoy, if we see those things as the ultimate things, you know, if you see our existence here is only about eating and drinking and enjoying our families and friends and so on, if that's, if that's it, then of course we will never be satisfied. Because in those things there is a longing, a longing for the one who gives them. We will never be satisfied unless we have a relationship and accept these things as a gift from a giver. That's what C.S. Lewis is saying, that in each of the good things in life, there is, we see standing behind them the giver. And unless we see them as a gift from him, we will never be satisfied with them. They can never satisfy us. And he says this, he goes on to talk about how our society thinks that our entire good is to be found on this earth and how, how that happens. And, and then he finishes off. Do what they will then, we remain conscious of a desire which no natural happiness will satisfy. We have a desire which no natural happiness will satisfy. Only God can satisfy it. And I think that is the message of Ecclesiastes. That's the thing, that we look for something beyond. But if we look for if we look for a, what's beyond just in the things of this earth, we'll never find it. We need to look above. We need to look higher. So let's, uh, let's take a, a few conclusions, a few things to take into, into this week. I think the first thing is that uh, do we admit that our longings can only be satisfied by, by God? Because God is the one at the end of the day who can satisfy us who can give us what we long for, but only he can do that. We mustn't look for that in the things of this earth. They are gifts. But we must look to the one who gives them. So will we take our longings to him? Will we allow him to make sense of our days? Will we allow him to make sense of the chaos of our lives and the chaos going on in the world at the moment? As it says in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. Will we trust justice to him 
Will we allow him to make sense of the rights and wrongs that happen in our lives, in the world? It isn't saying we shouldn't seek justice, it's right to seek justice. But ultimately, he is the one who, who gives it. And we must pray for those who are still under this spell of the world, believing that every good thing can be found on this earth and in the things of this earth. As, as we say, both they're good things, but they're gifts. And unless we see them as a gift from God, they will never satisfy us. And too many people find this. And uh, too many people live this way. So we need to pray for them.